Now this evening we are continuing uh, exploring our letter of Paul to the church at Colossae. Uh, as you know, the Colossians were under pressure. They were under pressure to doubt their life in Christ. And we've been reminding ourselves that false teachers had come among them to preach a false message. And they were basically saying, as I said this morning, the mess- they were saying the message of Christ is okay as a starting point. But it needs a new upgrade, they were saying. We need to add some human ideas about life to the message of Christ. And, and Paul wrote this letter uh, to assure the Colossians that no, Christ is enough. All they need is Christ and they have him. And therefore they must keep growing in Christ. That's the theme of Colossians. Keep growing in Christ. And this morning we looked at one of the commands Paul gives us to help us to keep growing in Christ, which is, was in verse 8, isn't it? Verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That's what we looked at, verse 8. And we said, Paul there in verse 8 is commanding us to stand firm against all man-centered thinking. Right? And we looked at the three negative reasons we should stand firm against all man-centered thinking. Uh, In verse 8, why we should oppose all man-centered thinking. We said we should resist all such worldviews which oppose Christ because all man-centered way of looking at the world is first of all enslaving. It doesn't deliver freedom. It enslaves us. Secondly, it is deceptive. It is empty deceit. And then thirdly, we said it is demonic. There is a spiritual energy behind godless worldviews. Well, this evening, I want us to look at the positive reasons. Those were the negative reasons Paul gives in verse 8. But Paul goes on to give us a positive reason why we should stand firm against man-centered thinking, or we should live for Christ. The positive reason is in verse 9 to verse 10. Why should we live in a Christ-centered world? Verse 9 to 10 tells us, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, that is Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. And we can summarize what Paul is teaching, verse 9 to 10, with the context of verse 8 in mind as simply this. We must live for Christ. Why? Because we are complete in Christ our God. You don't need anything else. You need to live for Christ because you don't need anything else. If you are a Christian, you are already complete in Christ our God. That's what he's teaching in verse 9 to 10. And we notice immediately that verse 9 to 10 is returning to a truth that Paul has already told us about. Verse 9 reads very familiar, isn't it? Because we met it in chapter 1. Paul is saying Christ is not your blood, right? We must live for Christ because Christ is God among us. He's God in the flesh. Look at verse 9 again. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You know, the original word for fullness there is pleroma. Pleroma, it means completeness. Paul is saying Christ has the totality 
of all the divine powers and attributes of God. God has become a man in Christ without losing his divinity. In Christ, God has added to his eternal divine nature our human flesh. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness, the whole pleroma of deity dwells bodily. Now when we looked at Colossians 1 verse 19, which is similar, in him the whole fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We said this word dwells signifies that the union of the divine nature and the human nature of Christ is permanent. Dwelling forever in Christ. And the wonder, the wonder of Christ is that he is the eternal person with two natures that sit side by side without mingling and yet in perfect unity. In the body of Christ, we see this union of contrasts, infinity and finitude, divine strength and human weakness, divine immortality and human mortality. Our Lord has a nature, as a divine nature that never changes. And the human nature that is subject to change. Christ as a man is subject to change. And as God, he's always above change. Because he's always above the influence of time. In Christ we have the lawgiver, God himself, sitting side by side, if you like, in his nature. Also we have Christ in his human nature as a man. So the lawgiver and the and, and the subject in Christ. He is the almighty God who has always been loved by the Father. And also the infant who was exposed to danger from the womb. In Christ's eternal glory and human garbage have shaked hands together. In Christ, heaven and earth have now met. The creator is also the creature in Christ. Christ as a divine nature that made all well that made all the things and the human nature that he made. Christ is Emmanuel, isn't it? God and man in one person. I, I don't know how I just there's nothing like it. There's none like Christ. There's no one like him. Christ, in fact, has a glory that the Father doesn't even have. I know that sounds shocking in the sense that Christ has the glory both as God, which is shared with the Father, but he also has the glory as our mediator because he has this union of contrast in him. He's the only man in all of existence that is both God and man. That glory is unique to himself. The Father doesn't share in that glory and the Holy Spirit doesn't share in that glory. Because it is only Christ who is the mediator. God in the flesh. And I would imagine, well, verse 9, isn't it? And the pins that for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And I would imagine this truth that Christ is our God in our flesh must have shocked the false teachers at Colossae. When they read this, 
They have been looking to angelic powers to help them. And they also seem to have been influenced by an elevation of Gnostic thoughts that taught that the, the body was something evil that needed to be escaped, right? They were a bit like the technologists today, right? So transhumanism tells us, look, the body constrains us. That's transhumanism. The body constrains us. And so what we need is to transcend the body. We need to escape the body by the fusion of, 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 of man with AI. That's trans, transhumanism. Right? There's a, there's a push now to escape the constraints of the body. It's Gnostic thought. It's actually just a return of the sun. It's amazing. The more you read the Bible, the more there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Same stuff, different clothes, but something. Right? This, the Gnostics wanted to transcend the human body. And Paul says, no, 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 far from it. We don't need angels because God himself has come. Why would you want to settle for powers, for angels, principalities, and those powers to be our intermediate or mediators when we have God himself? And listen to this. God has put on our human flesh. What a clear vote of confidence in our humanity. In Christ, God has permanently put on our human flesh with all its frailty and weaknesses. But you know, I can imagine the, the, the false teachers answering Paul back. Okay, we get that. How does God putting on our human flesh help us? What is the big deal with that? Well, Paul has already prepared the answer in verse 10, hasn't it? Look at verse 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells. But what's the big deal with that? Well, and you have been filled in him. You have been filled in Christ. Paul is saying, Christ being our God is a big deal because through Christ we share life with God. All true followers of Christ are in Him. We are in Christ. In this Christ who is God in the flesh. In other words, we now share life with God through Christ. Now, now Paul does not explain here how Christ has made us share life with God. He doesn't do that. Um, he's going to explain from verse 11 to 14, but he has already briefly touched on it, doesn't he? In Colossians 1, verse 19 to 20, we looked at that, which says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And we said the union then of the divine and human nature in Christ is, is, is the foundation of the union of God and man. The reason you have union with Christ, which we are coming to in a moment, is because Christ, God the Son, has united himself to our humanity. He has put on our human flesh. The union, the, the incarnation is the foundation of our union with Christ. Christ now in his body becomes, you see, this temple, we said, isn't it? Through which we access God. We have access with God through the body of the God-man who, who, who laid down his life on the cross for us. Through the death of Christ, we have forgiveness of sins and we now share life with God forever. The temple, the curtain has been torn into. What's the curtain? It is the body of Christ through which we enter the Holy of Holies. In other words, the incarnation of God in Christ 
whilst being a vote of confidence in humanity, it is also a rebuke of humanity, isn't it? Because by God putting on our body in Christ, he has condescended to us in love to serve us. He has come to do what you couldn't do for yourself. We are fallen and rebellious creatures. We cannot save ourselves no matter how much we try, how clever we get. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It comes only down from heaven in the person of Christ. And therefore God, by God putting on our human flesh, he has come down to save us by dying on that cross to pay the price for our sin that we deserve. It's, it's mind-boggling that the human body of Christ houses all of God. That's mind-boggling enough. It is even more shocking that the same body that houses God has gone up to that cross, that, 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 that instrument which the Romans couldn't even cru- crucify their own people, that he has willingly laid down his life on that cross. He has been crushed. On the cross for us. He who is fully God and fully man. It's quite a thought, isn't it? To think that right there on the cross. Is God looking at me. God dying in my place. Dressed in my flesh. So that through... His death, I may have union with him. As I said, Paul will expand on this in verse 11 to 15. We'll see next week that God has made us his people through our faith union with Christ. The key point is that Christ being our God, beloved, is a big deal because it is in and through this person of Jesus that we share with life with God. There is no other way except through Christ that we share life with God. And the big deal is this for you and I sitting in Bexley this, this evening. Is that we, because we share life with Christ our God, we are now full. We are now complete in him. That's what verse 10 is getting at. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you, believers who are truly born again, have been filled in him. Do you notice that Paul does not say, you have been filled with him. Paul is very good with, it, with his in and with, as you see. He's very careful how he uses it. Here he says, not with him, even though that is true, but in him. The point is, in this case, it does not tell us what we are filled with. That's the point. That's the point. And you have been filled in him. He leaves the nature of the filling because that's not what he wants to... He leaves it absent because that's not what he wants to emphasize. He wants to emphasize that you have been filled. Right? I know it sounds like a technicality, but it's so important. In fact, it's the most important thing in all of these verses. The point Paul is making is simply to say that in Christ, we have a true, full, and complete life. That's why the old translation says, some of them says, you have been made complete in him. 
or you have been made full in him, or you have the fullness in him. The point is that in Christ, we have a complete life now. And the other thing you should notice is that we have this full and complete life in him then, isn't it? That is to say, it is our faith union with Christ that makes us have this complete life in Christ. We are in Christ. In other words, all true followers are living inside Christ. And because we are inside Christ, we now have a full and complete life in Christ. We lack nothing because we are in faith union with Christ. And there's another thing in verse 10. A wonderful thing. Which is not as verse 10 is in past tense. He doesn't say you are being filled. That might be true at one level. He doesn't say you will be filled. That might also, I can see how that could be. You could find grounds for that elsewhere in the scripture. No, his focus here is in past tense. You have been filled in him. Paul is saying, this is reality now. This is the definite status of all followers of Christ. We are complete in Christ now. Now, this definite status is, as we always emphasize, it's already and not yet, right? We are complete in Christ now because we are in faith union with him. We are in Christ now. But there's a component of not yet because the glories and the wonders of being in Christ, we haven't yet fully realized them. We are waiting for the perusia. We are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth when we shall be like Christ. There is more to our fullness to be experienced. That's why Paul, Paul wants us to understand that throughout Scripture. But the not yet does not change the fundamental truth now, which you should live by. Right now, as you sit here in Bexley If, right now, you have a complete life in Christ. Because you share life with God now. Right now, you lack nothing. Yes, I know there's a lot you are thinking you'd, you lack. But no, you lack nothing. And the key point here is that this completeness we have in Christ of lacking nothing flows from the oneness that Christ has with us by his grace. And that oneness we have with Christ flows from the oneness that Christ has with the Godhead, so to speak, which is by his nature. The union with Christ is the basis of our union with Christ. And our union with Christ is the reason we can say we lack nothing. That's what I want to tell you this evening. You lack nothing. I mean, it's, the, it's a very short. I mean, we might finish early today, but that's, that, that's, that's the point. We, our life is complete in Christ. And so you might say, well, what does that mean then in practice? Well, I'll just give you three quick directions. How should we respond to this truth that we are complete in Christ? Well, first of all, surely, surely, let us thank Christ our God that we lack nothing in Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Beloved, we must never forget that before 
Christ made us complete. We were without God and without hope in the world. You must never hear this truth and forget where you're coming from. And you know, Paul is wonderful in the way he writes because he, he has already started by reminding us where we are coming from. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 22. You've had a whole sermon on it. If you are lacking gratitude in your life, it's because you forget Colossians 1, verse 21 to 22, which says, And you, believers, who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul has reminded us, isn't it, in that verse, that before the Colossians trusted in Christ, there were these things. They were alienated, hostile, and doing evil. And that's the default situation of every human being. That's how you were before Christ made you complete. You were an alien from God. You and God were like two people living, as I like to say, on two different planets. Or perhaps you were living like somebody living in the Amazon and God was somewhere else in a wonderful city. So cut off from you. You could not relate to God. You didn't speak the same language as God. You know, your sin prevented you from accessing God. When sin entered the world, it separated you and all of us from life with God. It left you, it not only separated you from God, it left you with a depraved mind. Your thinking was hostile to God. Man-centered thinking, which we talked about this morning, that was your thing. You hated God to his bone. And this hostility to God made you do evil and corrupt things to God. Your mind was a complete factory of human evil. You know, I think it's Calvin who says that the human mind is, a, is, a, is an idol factory. That was you. And you could not help yourself in man-centered thinking. You couldn't stop sinning because the software of your mind was infected with the virus of sin. And it's not just that we did evil things, friends. As I like to remind you, even the good things we did were evil because they were, they were emerging from a debased and God-hating mind. And because you and I were at war against God, His holiness, His judgment demanded that we should be punished for our treason and rebellion against God. That was us. And yet in all of this, the heart of God beat love for us. God always remained as our loving creator. He was never happy that you, the creature, is fashioned in his own image. Should have a debased mind. Should hate him. God never at any point cheered you on to hell. He always wanted you back. And so what did God do for sinners such as us? What did God do for you? Well, God came in Christ to bring you to himself. Christ is God wearing the rags of human flesh to reconcile you to himself in the body of death. Christ is God restoring you by dying on that cross for you. Christ paid the damage for the breach of peace that had occurred between you and him. The penalty for your sin was death. That is what you owed God. But you are a spiritual criminal by default. We all are. You couldn't pay the penalty. 
And you never desire to pay the penalty. But God in Christ graciously put that head on the chopping block for you. He took the guillotine of the cross to remove your hostility against God. But the grace of God never stopped there for you, beloved. Because Paul in verse 9 to 10 is saying, Christ, having done all of that for you, restoring you back to God, he now says, you are complete in me. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have now been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. God has not just taken away your enmity, he has made you complete in him. Praise the Lord, isn't it? We should say, praise the Lord. You lack nothing now in Christ. By his grace. You have all this because you are clever. You are not here this evening because you are clever. It's humbling reading Corinthians, isn't it? That God chose the foolish things of the world. Have you ever read that and said, yeah, I'm foolish. I'm foolish. It does not depend on us. It is a free work of God in Christ, not something we have earned. It's about God giving himself freely to wretched sinners. Our God is a giving God. He's always giving, as I said this morning, always giving, always giving, always giving. When have we ever given God back? Nothing. We've never given God back. Because even the praise we give God is a work of his spirit. What a God. Always giving. Always giving. And here Paul says, God has given you freely to you, a wretched sinner. He's rescued you from darkness, forgiven you, blessed you, made you complete in Christ. Beloved, you are now home with God by his grace. The wonderful grace of God has made you complete in Christ. Now, beloved, now. And there are many ways, there are many things we can say about this truth. Many applications. But my prayer has been, as I've been thinking about this truth, for you, is that it would move you just to thank Christ from the bottom of your heart. Thank you, Jesus, for making you complete. And mean it, beloved. Mean it from the bottom of your heart. Not just words. You know, you know the thank you that changes us. Thank you. And we mean it. You know, husbands know this, isn't it? When your wife has, you know, has overwhelmed you with goodness and you're thankful, you're just like, yeah, thank you. I'm so thankful for her. Or I'm so thankful for him. It's a thank you that changes us. It's a thank you that wants us to live for him. It's a thankful that says nothing else matters. So this evening, give God that thanks. The thankfulness that makes you stop. Tell him just how thankful you are that he has made you complete. And pray that no matter what this week brings, that the Lord will help you to remember to be thankful in whatever situation you face. Because this week you're going to face many things, many things, especially at work or in your family, that's just going to make you forget everything you've heard just right now. And you must remember to say thank you and ask God for help to help you remember So that's one thing, thankfulness. We should always start there. Secondly, let us resolve. This truth should make us resolve to think Christianly, isn't it? 
Because we are now complete in Christ. This, we must think Christianly. This is actually the main reason Paul is teaching verse 9 to 10. That's why he's written these words. Why do I say that? Because look how verse 9 starts. Did you notice? It starts with the word for. For in him. We can replace the word for with because. For literally means it's the same as because. Because in him. In other words, in verse 9, Paul is giving us the main reason we should resist man-centered thinking, which we talked about in verse 8. So it makes sense now to read verse 8 to verse 10 together, isn't it? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Because in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So now we combine, we could have had one sermon, of course, couldn't we? Now we can combine verse 8 to 10 and say, what is, what is Paul saying to the Colossians? It's very simple. You must not be led astray, beloved. What more do you need, friends, Paul is saying? Can't you see that you are now completing Christ? What do I have to say to you to get it? You don't need man-centered thinking. You don't need godless worldview to make sense of life, Paul says. You don't need to make yourself complete in life. Can't you see? You are already full. It's like a man who's eaten, I don't know, three platters and nandos. You are that full. What more chicken do you need from papas down the road? You know, the Istanbul chicken. You've had enough here. Paul says, you're already satisfied because Christ is God, and you now live with him. So resolve now, says Paul. Resolve now. It's irrational for you to want to keep eating and eating when you're already full. It doesn't make sense. It's bad for you. He says, you have all the true life that you need in Christ. Can't you see you are complete in him because Christ is your God? And this Christ is, is not one of many spiritual leaders in the world. Christ is not some good man that you are, who has filled you. No, it's, it's, it's not even our example. No, Christ is our one and true God. All of God is in Christ and, and he has made you full in him. That's what Paul wants us to say. He wants us to understand that. Now many of us agree with that, isn't it? Yeah, we get it. We have fun. But sadly, the truth is that our lives do not always show that we believe we are complete in Him. We know this truth. In fact, I think you've heard this truth. I've said it before. In fact, sermon number two actually talked about in a same way, similar truth. But we forget. 25 sermons later, you, pro- you forgot the second sermon. For many of us, it is Christ plus our family that makes us complete. Christ plus our ego makes us complete. Christ plus our careers makes us complete. Christ plus our reputation makes us complete. Christ plus, Christ plus, Christ plus. You can fill in for yourself. I wonder, what is it for you? What is that thing you are trying to look to to make you complete? Now, you know mentally that Christ is enough for you, but the truth of the matter is that 
Our hearts and minds betray us, isn't it? That's why we need the reminder of this passage. And beloved, there's no shame. Quite the contrary, it's a sign of spiritual growth to admit before God that you, although Christ has done all of these things, you just don't get it why you still want to run over to add things to him. Confess that thing. And most importantly, let's read these verses with verse in context, isn't it? Because when we truly believe we are complete in Christ, we must surrender our mind, our hearts, we know that, but especially here in verse 8, we must surrender our minds to Christ. We must become Christ-centered, Paul says. When we know we are complete in Christ, why do we need other worldviews? Why do we need to add on to the Bible? Why do we need to think in a man-centered way? human-centered way. No, when we know we are complete in Christ, our worldview is increasingly Christ-centered. And so, beloved, this passage is reminding us that following Christ can never be a hobby, right? It's, it can never be about fitting Christ to the contours of your ideas. Christ has made us complete. And if we truly believe this, that we are complete in Christ, then let us rest in him, in Christ our God and our Redeemer. And, and today when we've had a sermon in the morning about worldly thinking, and now we've seen this wonderful positive reason on why we should be Christ-centered in our thinking, well, let us end the day by examining our hearts, isn't it? Ask yourself, what does Christ make of the way I am living and thinking? Does he think my heart has truly bowed to his lordship? What does it make the way I think about life and make decisions? Does Christ think my thought life is truly centered on him? If this week I obeyed to think Christianly, how would it look like? I just want to ask you that. How would this coming week look different from your last week if you thought Christianly? Examine yourself. Ask yourself those questions. Because this truth is challenging us to live for Christ. Now, we are completing him now. Let us live for Christ now. We must think Christianly because Christ our God is all we need in life. And we are complete in him. The final thing this truth is doing. So the first truth is thanksgiving. The second, the second thing he's doing is, is to, to encourage us to resolve to, to, to think Christianly. Well, the final thing this truth actually is doing is reassuring you that you are in the loving arms of Christ. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He's saying you are safe in Christ. Christ is your provider, your protector, is your friend. He's saying, be assured, I have got this. Christ is saying. The truth is saying we are now we are now complete in Christ. He's keeping us. Christ, don't forget this, and we don't have time to unpack this. You could have another sermon on this verse, by the way. Because what one of the things that this verse is teaching us is that Christ is the very means through which we are kept in Christ. Okay? You are saved by Christ, kept by Christ, made complete by Christ. It is all Christ. The whole point of these verses is that it does not depend on you. Nothing does. Paul is saying you must resolve to live for Christ, okay? But remember why you're doing it. You are doing it not because that is what keeps you in Christ. No, you are doing it because Christ has already made you complete. 
Why are you able to say no to worldviews? Because you're free to say no to godless views. The world can't say no to that. And there's an application that we could have added in this morning. When we share evangelism, we need to be realistic, brethren, that we, the world is already imprisoned to these ideas. It's hard to get that across. That's why we need prayer when we share the word of God. But you as a believer, you have been set free. If the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed. That is by Christ. Christ has already made you complete. In other words, as you resist the words of the world, you are resisting them with hope, not despair. You must stand firm in Christ. You must not stand firm in Christ, I should say, with despair. You have Christ on your side. You are in Christ. You are in him. He is your safety net. You are living in him and are complete in him. You are in union with Christ, our God. This is your security. So do not despair, Paul says. He's trying to encourage us. Keep resting in Christ in every situation you are in. Because you are complete in him, now and forever. Amen.